Today's episode contains a conversation on sexual addiction and healing, so if you listen around little ears, you might want to grab a pair of headphones. No one intends to get addicted to pornography, masturbation, or other disordered sexual desires. And it doesn't help that we live in a world that has ingrained into our minds the idea that pornography is a guy's issue. And yes, many men do struggle with an addiction to pornography, but the reality of the situation and the reality that you yourself might be living in is that women also struggle with addictions to pornography and masturbation. But there is healing. You don't have to hide and pretend that everything in your life is going perfectly. It's time we stop thinking about pornography as a problem that only men deal with and start recognizing reality. Welcome to Letters to Women. It's a podcast where we explore and embrace what St. Pope John Paul II called the feminine genius, this unique strength and dignity that we have as women and what growing in that looks like in our daily lives. This is not a podcast about defining the quote unquote one perfect way to be a Catholic woman or shoving yourself into a box or a set of expectations that you never feel like you're going to fit into. Instead, you'll find conversations with women in a variety of seasons of life and hear about how they are living out their own unique feminine genius. And this is all offered as an encouragement for you to discover more about who you are and how you are called to live out the feminine genius too. My name is Chloe Langer and I'm a Catholic wife and mom living in Kansas City. I record these conversations after my three and one-year-olds get tucked into bed so you might hear their white noise in the background of this episode but it's in these normal and daily moments that I've seen the feminine genius at work. And our gifts and talents as women are so worthy of exploration, and I'm excited to share this episode with you today. In this episode, I'm sitting down with Rachel Kalaki. She's the founder and executive director of Magdala, which is a space where women can find hope and healing and freedom alongside each other from sexual addiction. We're talking about just what pornography is, how Magdala is shifting the narrative so women can find healing from sexual wounds, and the importance of healing from sexual wounds in community, even though things like pornography and masturbation are often considered private struggles. So if you're a woman who has struggled with pornography, masturbation, lustful thoughts, sexual daydreaming, or any other disordered desire, sister, this letter's for you. This episode of the Letters to Women podcast is sponsored by the Little Catholic Box, a quarterly subscription box for Catholic women. Each quarter, they curate beautiful and functional Catholic items around a spiritual theme. It is so much fun to be a subscriber. It's also a blessing to the artists, creators, and small businesses whose items are featured. If you ever need a thoughtful, uncommon gift for a Catholic friend, family member, or loved one, be sure to see what's available at thelittlecatholicbox.com. And don't forget to visit thelittlecatholicbox.com slash letters to check out this month's Letters to Women bonus. This year, the Little Catholic Box is offering something different each month for Letters to Women listeners. So head over to thelittlecatholicbox.com slash letters to see what this month's bonus is and make sure to check back at the littlecatholicbox.com slash letters each month for a new bonus for letters to women listeners. Today I'm welcoming Rachel Kalaki, the founder and executive director of Magdala to the podcast. Rachel is a Colorado native, depending on your definition of native, who earned her bachelor's and master's degree in theology from Ave Maria University. After beginning to share her testimony in college, Rachel has had the privilege of hearing dozens of beautiful stories of healing from sexual addiction and is pursuing a certification in sexual addiction therapy. Aside from Magdala, she has worked in diocesan ministry and the pro-life movement. Rachel married her husband, Tommy, in 2021, and they now live in Tampa, Florida, where she enjoys the beach almost as much as she enjoys the mountains. Rachel, welcome to Letters to Women. It's so good to have you on the show. Hey, Chloe. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to be talking about healing and freedom from sexual addiction and how pornography and masturbation aren't just things that guys struggle with and how healing from sexual wounds can impact the way we see our bodies as women. But before we dive in, Rachel, could you tell me a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman? Yeah, so I was um, born and raised in a Catholic family. My parents are both converts, so they brought a lot of willingness to learn and I guess just a fire for for knowledge. Um, 
to our faith life as a family. And my mom was just beautiful at making God the center of all of our conversations and teaching me how to speak with him in, in a way that, you know, builds a friendship with him. And um, my dad set a really beautiful example of fidelity to the church and uh, just self-study. So I was raised in kind of this this beautiful combination of uh, an openness, it, it, not a casualness, but just an openness and friendliness with God. And then also this rigorous kind of self-study environment. So I grew up loving apologetics, loving uh, studying scripture, studying the faith, kind of put that to uh, good use, studying theology in college and in ministry afterward. But uh, I've, I've found that that's kind of at the center of my life as a Catholic woman still is just this desire for knowledge, but also just desire for friendship with God. You are the founder and executive director of Magdala, and it's a space where women can find hope and healing and freedom alongside each other from sexual addiction. Can you tell me a little bit about the origin story? How did Magdala come to be? Yeah, so there's the long version and the short version. I'll go for the medium version. I struggled with an addiction to pornography from ages 13 to 19. So I entered recovery my sophomore year of college, and I began sharing my personal testimony in Uh, different events for women on my college campus at Ave Maria. And after each talk I would give, I would have several women, sometimes even up to, you know, a third or half of my audience come up privately afterwards and ask me for help. Even in the days following, women would come up and say, hey, I heard your talk and I need help. And one woman even slid a note under my dorm door, you know, to remain confidential. And I started just receiving a lot of requests for help and ended up being convicted my junior year to begin a support group. So I uh, worked with our campus ministry office on campus. I had a beautiful friend named Mary Jo, who is my co-founder, and she actually runs Magdala with me now and is on our leadership team. But she joined in immediately and just offered to help in any way she could. And we uh, put together a support group. And I created a small group curriculum guide just kind of out of nowhere because there were no resources specifically made for women. So I just wrote one. Um, But I led that group my senior year. And um, Mary Jo led it the following year. And we just had this lovely group of women. Um, And I took a break from it. I I gave maybe a couple more talks after college was over in grad school. But I took a break from it, got my master's, went on to do diocesan work, and just never let go of the topic. It's still really called to me. And I uh, got in touch with Matt Frad in college and um, he, you know, gave me his contact information and just said, you know, hey, if you're ever interested in doing something in the future, let me know. And I was bored at work one day in my my little office in the chancery. And um, I just I, I reached out to him and said, like, it's been a, it's been a few years. I'm I'm doing this job now. And uh, but this topic still really matters to me. And are there any opportunities that you know of where I could contribute something, even if it's just support to other women who are trying to address this? And he set up a phone call and he said, "Um, nobody stepped into this. And I I think you should consider doing it. You have a week to decide if you want to step up. I took a week. Um, My husband and I were three months out from our wedding. So we we were engaged. Um, I had more than a full-time job in ministry at the diocese. And um, yeah, but I... I just took it to prayer and heard, why not? And so we began Magdala. I got Mary Jo back on board. Um, she was off doing her own thing post-grad too. And yeah, and it's it's just been blessed ever since. The door just kind of opened and I I put a website out there and, um, you know, 
pulled in all of our past work into that that new model but yeah it was it was definitely a dive it was a huge dive but we have been blessed with hundreds of women in over 20 countries joining us to lead groups or participate and it's it's been beautiful there's such a need for ministry for women desiring healing from addiction and yeah to see that many women from that many countries reach out to you is is an affirmation of that yeah absolutely it's been that that's our greatest credibility is these women being willing to come forward with their stories and joining in community with us that's been the most affirming thing to receive is oh we actually are creating something that that makes them feel welcome that's our biggest goal and um so far God's blessed and we've been able to accomplish that and I'm really grateful. Before we g- dive deeper into this conversation on sexual addiction and healing, could you define pornography? Does that term just encompass things that we consume visually or does it include things like the steamy scene in the latest rom-com book that we got from the library? Yeah, maybe maybe I'm a little strict on this, but I would definitely say it includes that, right? And the definition I tend to operate from is uh, pornography is any any content written, visual or audio that is intended, like sexually explicit content that's intended to arouse or entertain. So I I use those those three mediums in that definition, the audio, written, or visual, to kind of be that all-encompassing. It, it calls us out when it's all-encompassing, I guess, is the best way to put it. Because we like to make, I know I like to make excuses for myself of, well, if it's not, if it's not visual, if it's not a video, then it's fine. But my gateway was was written pornography. Um, which eventually led to to visual, but I think there's we like to make excuses for ourselves unless that's that's very explicitly said. But the intention is the exact same behind all those mediums, and the result is the same. So we can't have that limited definition of pornography, especially for women. Yes, especially because so often when we hear about topics like pornography, masturbation, sexual addiction, they're mostly referred to as guys' problems. I remember going to conferences growing up where there was a talk on pornography and masturbation, but it was only in a guy's session. How is pornography and masturbation, sexual addiction, how is that impacting women today? And then how is Magdala shifting that narrative so women can find healing from sexual wounds? I've done a lot of studying and reflecting on my own story, but but just hopefully more, hopefully more rigorous scientific study to try and understand myself and the women that we're serving a little bit better. But there's definitely been an up uptick, right, in women consuming pornography or being addicted to masturbation or these sexual issues. The pornography industry, they definitely targeted men first. So I do think it was originally intended for men, but I think they ended up seeing that they were missing a demographic in women where they could you know, produce more and make more money. So the content has been shifting. And I think it also made its way into things like rom-coms or things like that. Um, it Softcore pornography is all over our TV shows and movies. I think women, instead of raising the standard for sexuality in our culture, we ended up caving to it. Just the caving in on sexuality that our culture was experiencing, I think we ended up giving into that and kind of this despair and this hopelessness at ever raising the standard. But then at the same time, I think there was also content being produced that targeted us more and attracted us more. One study that I found that really shed light on women being visual, because I think that was a stereotype I heard growing up too, right, was that men consume porn because they're visual and women need emotional chastity because we are emotional. A study that I found that tackled that stereotype studied both men and women and their arousal responses to visual stimuli. And men attributed their arousal to how attractive uh, the people in the video were, right, in this pornographic video. And the women attributed their arousal to their ability to imagine themselves as one of the people in this video. So 
I think that's that's a stereotype that needs to be taken down is pornography affects women's emotions. It does. And if it, but it, it finds their it finds their emotions through a visual pathway. It doesn't directly target it. It's very sneaky. But it also finds it finds us in our creativity and our imagination and these unique feminine gifts that we have that maybe men don't have um, as readily. So I think it's it it's found a really sneaky path in and it's not as cut and dry as maybe it is with men. It's very complex, but, and this is something I'm still fascinated by, like from a professional standpoint and from a personal one too, and just, and just trying to understand, but I know it's deeply affected that creativity that women have naturally and, and our emotional lives as well. It's really targeted that. When it comes to healing from sexual wounds, it can be really easy to focus on breaking a habit of viewing pornography, or I'm going to go X amount of weeks without masturbating. But I loved in a recent blog post, you wrote that pornography and masturbations are actually symptoms of a bigger problem. So for listeners who are maybe tuning in, and th- and this is something that they're struggling with, and they are desiring to find healing from addiction, how can they discover that something deeper than the symptom and find true freedom, true healing in this process? Oh, gosh. I mean, it, to recommend first, find find a trusted counselor. Um, to do this digging with you. A very simple way to begin is examining what triggers you, right? Like what triggers you to seek out these sexual compulsions? That gives a really good indicator of what might be going on beneath the surface. So if you're triggered by loneliness, if you're triggered by boredom, if you're triggered by stress, you know, examine those emotions and where are they coming from? And when is the time that you remember first experiencing that or experiencing it to such a degree that you could no longer handle it? Um, because that may trace you back to some trauma that may trace you back to some, some lies that you've agreed with spiritually, but let your emotions kind of leave you a paper trail to what wounds might be part of that originating, um, giving in to a new sexual compulsion. And it's really fascinating once you start allowing that to happen. Um, and it, and it's beautiful. There's like this kind of this feeling of fitting puzzle pieces into place um, that can be really freeing. But you do kind of have to start at the surface and then let it take you deeper. And it can be terrifying. It can be a really terrifying process as well. But yeah, starting with triggers, but it, it is huge. But seeking out professional help, I think, is just the the easiest the easiest way in the sense that it helps you get there, but the hardest in the sense that it can be really difficult to ask for that help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a big ask of vulnerability when asking for, for help in a company, mm-hmm. especially tracing wounds to the root wound. Oh man, yep, that is mm-hmm. insanely difficult. But without it, I think there can be the sense of frustration of why can't I go however many weeks, however many days without falling into this again and again. And that just frustration and resentment that they can come from that. And so the harder work Mm -hmm. is harder. Yes. But then finding that, that lasting freedom has to take a deeper route than just kicking a habit. Yeah. And you can get addicted to finding the silver bullet too. I found a lot of our women struggle with that, right? Is like they come in expecting Magdala to be the answer um, we have never advertised ourselves as being the answer to addiction. I think addiction is so complex and you can't quantify healing. It's it's such an individual process that everybody needs something different. We just hope we can be one of those things that a ton of women need in order to heal. But um, yeah, I think you get addicted to finding the answers and you get frustrated when something's not working. And that frustration just puts you right back in the cycle of seeking out consolation somewhere you shouldn't be seeking it. So I think 
it's I, I use the quote all the time from C.S. Lewis's till we have faces is um, yeah. How can we speak to God face to face till we have faces? And so there's a there's a level of honesty that exploring those deeper wounds gives you where you can actually finally see the face of God in front of you. You have a clearer path. You know what you're operating from. You know where he is. You can see him present in that woundedness. Um, but until you're until you go there, until you take off the mask and really dig that up, you're not going to have that freedom with him and you're not going to have that clarity. Um, so I think the you have to let go of the need for this perfect path in order to do that, though. As so many of us as women have this have an unhealthy relationship with our bodies, um, whether that's mm. struggling with body image or comparison, especially with other women. What does pornography do uh, when it comes to impacting our our body dissatisfaction mm. among women, and and how can healing from sexual addic- addiction shift the way that we view our physical bodies as women today? When we look at this question, a lot of people think at first that maybe the dissatisfaction in women would come from what women look like in pornographic material. And I actually have not found that to be the case. I think that distorts men's idea of what women, what real women look like um, very quickly. But for women, what I've seen more is it at the root, it's, um, it's a shame about consumption that attributes to the bodily dissatisfaction. So there's this, this kind of feeling of like, I, you know, I'm not feminine because I'm consuming this, right? Because we have this wider secular understanding of like, I, I'm, you know, this is a guy's issue and especially that's rampant in the church. So you have, you have women believing there's something altered about their femininity or twisted about it, or, you know, they're missing this important piece that every other woman seems to have. They're the only one, like all of these lies, right? And that's what ends up causing, I think, the bodily dissatisfaction because our femininity and is found in our bodies in such a integrated way. Um, and our emotions and our physical and our physicality is are, are very integrated as women. Um, so I found that that kind of distortion creates, we like to use the terms in Magdala, suppression or obsession with the body. So we have some women who have learned or been conditioned, I guess is a better way to put it, to over-sexualize themselves. So they are not able um, to see their bodies as a gift. Um, modesty kind of goes out the window, whether explicitly or not. But just this this over-sexualization of the body and not being able to see it outside of a sexual context. And you have that. Um, and then you also have depression of like, the just, I'm going to, hide my sexuality in a box because and put it away because it's dangerous and it causes me to sin um and it's this wrongful attribution right of of sin to your whole sexuality but it's that putting away and i've found women either like they fall into one camp or the other sometimes there's this weird combination of both but um you fall into one camp or the other and i know i struggled more with suppression than obsession but I have some women who, you know, are in, in that other camp and both are, both are a lie. Both are um, a wrong extreme. You know, neither one is, is better than the other. But I, I think, um, yeah, that's what I've seen in the bodily dissatisfaction sphere. But it is also true that um, oftentimes a sexual addiction, whether pornography, masturbation, sexual fantasy, whatever it may be, is also accompanied by an eating disorder. We have a lot of women who... Um, have co-aggravating conditions. So I think there's 
I think they're very deeply tied because, you know, perhaps a, a sexual compulsion is where you feel valued and that's why you keep on seeking it. And then when you're not in that, you know, you do have this, this deep mental dissatisfaction with your, your body and your physical state. So we definitely have a lot of co-aggravating um, tendencies there, but the deeper thing I think is that we believe a lot about our femininity and that creates either an obsession or a suppression. If suppression, obsession are the the two ditches that, mm-hmm. that you're seeing, how would you describe that virtuous middle? Both of those are lies. Healing is found. How would you describe the middle when it comes to healthy interaction with the body? Yeah. So we, we use the word expression mm, <laughs> when we yes. talk about the healthy middle is this, this healthy sexual expression um, according to your state in life, you know, whatever that looks like, um, that you don't hide your femininity away in a box. You don't hide your sexuality in a box, but you express it beautifully in the way you live in a way that honors God, honors yourself, honors others. Um, but that can't be done by hiding and that can't be done by obsessing. So we use that word expression. And I think, um, I think for married women, that's obvious. So I found for, it, it's especially difficult for women who are unmarried um, or not in religious life to find out what that expression looks like. And it's a very complex journey. Uh, but I know, I know unmarried women who, who, just live this out beautifully. So I, I've been blessed with many examples of that in front of me, of just this really confident femininity without, yeah, without flaunting it and without being afraid of it. I don't necessarily understand that journey as a single woman anymore, but, um, but I've found that that's, that's where that expression piece really, really comes into place for unmarried women or women who are not in religious life. When it comes to your own state of life, you just gave birth how how has physical motherhood impacted your vision, your desire to help women heal from sexual addiction? And, and how can listeners, too, who are, who are mothers, uh, start conversations with their daughters now to help them learn about the beauty and the goodness of their body? Mother, yeah, physical motherhood I'm, is very transformative, obviously. Um, and you understand, like, it's in a way you can't describe to people. And, I yeah, I've just spent the last month in very deep gratitude that uh, family life is where God is called me to live out and express my femininity. Um, I've found it very fulfilling and very joyful. So I think it's just set me on fire with this new, this new love for what it means to be a woman. I don't think I've ever felt more like a woman than I have now. And so it's just this determination that I feel this, like this zeal that I, I'm encountering in myself to help each woman find her place in that. It's not family life for everyone. Um, It's not religious life for everyone. And, you know, just, what what does it look like for each woman that I'm serving to really to find that feeling of like I've never felt more like a woman than I do right now, and um, I just I want to see all the women who come across our our virtual door so to speak. Um, I want to see them all experience that feeling and and and, it, and for it to be lasting. So that's that's been something I've encountered in myself, um, but. Yeah, I think um, mothers with daughters, <laughs> I think the first thing is just to get in front of it, like acknowledge it, um, acknowledge that there are things out there doing war on, you know, femininity, war on the body, war on the beauty of women, um, and that it's not uh, just at the hands of men. <laughs> um, sometimes you throw the stone at yourself. And I think that was the message that was lacking um, in my upbringing. I think my mom did a beautiful job um of affirming beauty and 
in so many ways and um, teaching me about sexuality in a way that was that was affirming and not negative. Um, but pornography was not really an acknowledged conversation. It was not a big one um, between us. And um, and she obviously now wishes it had been, but um, she was doing the best that she knew how with the information she had. And I think getting in front of it and saying, this is, a, you know, this is a female issue. This will attack your body. Sometimes you attack yourself in this way. Um, you experience these temptations. It's not only men's temptation that can hurt you you know, like you can hurt yourself. And so I think that's, that's a big part of the beginning of the conversation is that, um, that we're often the cause of our, our greatest pain, not other people. Um, cause I think I grew up with an expectation of, I am the gatekeeper of my sexuality. I'm the gatekeeper of, um, sexual purity in relationships. And if I fall, the whole thing falls apart. Um, and, that's not true. <laughs> you know, like we're, we're all falling and we're all in need of, um, redemption constantly. So I think just relaying that message and making it one that's merciful is really important for young women to hear. For listeners who are wanting to continue this conversation with you, you have a fantastic website, a great blog that has incredible resources. You guys also have a podcast for Magdala. Where can listeners connect with you online and learn more about Magdala? Yeah, so we are a social media free organization. So if people uh, want to get in touch with us in any capacity, that's a form through our website. So you can join a group through our website or inquire to join a group. You can ask us questions through our website. You can join um, as a small group leader. We are always, always, always looking for women to be small group leaders. And it doesn't matter your state in life, um, as long as you're 18 and up, that's basically our requirement. Um, but if you're a woman who has a history of sexual compulsion or sin, and you've experienced God's healing, we would love to have you as a small group leader. And we have participants of all ages and all states in life. I think our oldest participant is in her 70s, and our youngest is 18. So we have we have the whole range and in over 20 countries. So we're always, always, always in need of women to serve as small group leaders. Um, and our wait list is pretty consistently stacked up. So... So if you feel the call, please submit a form and let us know. But yeah, the best way to encounter us and our content is through our website. And then our podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And it's just called the Magdala Podcast because I was feeling especially creative <laughs> when I posted it. But but yeah, so uh, we'd love to hear from you. Any questions or inquiries that you might have? Rachel, this is the one last question that I have for you. And, and you've spoken to this so beautifully throughout our entire conversation. But I would love to hear about how you live out the feminine genius in your daily life, especially as a woman helping other women experience true freedom from sexual addictions. Yeah, I think it's been a journey for me of, of living this out. And it's something I'm still um, very, I'm doing very poorly at most of the time. So I don't know if I have anything very wise to say. I think for me, the feminine genius and encountering it in my own life has been more and more just about an acceptance of the the temperament, the likes and dislikes, the opportunities that the Lord has given me. Um, my, one of my current favorite authors, Romano Guardini, talks about like the virtue of acceptance acceptance and that's been something I've been praying a lot about lately is just this acceptance of the reality that we're in and the reality of who we are um and that there isn't one way to be a catholic woman 
um, I think has been something to accept about myself, um, especially as a woman with a more bold temperament. Um, and yeah, just a choleric approach to life. I think I've, I've needed to accept that as that, you know, maybe I don't always look or act like, um, what media would portray as the quintessential Catholic woman, but that doesn't mean I'm not. Um, and I also think it's important not to let yourself get put in a box of, you know, um, anything that might be quintessential Catholic woman. I, you know, I can't touch that. That's not for me. You know, I think I've fallen into that attitude before. So our virtue is not based in how much we imitate or don't imitate standard. I think it's in, or I mean, a, a ideal that is put forth by society. It's, it's in how can we imitate Christ and we each do that differently. So I think living out the feminine genius for me, it's just about been about like what, what aspects of Christ do I mirror well and which ones do I not? And that's what I need to work on, but which ones am I called to mirror that maybe nobody, nobody else around me can do in the way that I can. And um, I think every person can ask themselves that question, but women, especially right now, we need, we need a lot of uniqueness. We need variety and we need more than anything women who accept themselves and the reality that they're in and the reality of who they are so. Mm, that's so good the virtue of acceptance that's fantastic I, I don't have never heard it phrased that way that's beautiful I hadn't either and it was um I read I read this chapter on it in, in one of Gordini's books um called learning the virtues and I read it right after giving birth to my daughter and it was um it was just beautifully timed of just accepting the new reality that I had entered into as a mother so oh Rachel thank you so much for coming on the show thank you for your work with Magdala this is just absolutely fantastic and it's it's a resource that we we need in the church today so thank you so much for your heart for it of course thank you hey thanks for listening to this episode of letters to women you can check out the show notes for my conversation with Rachel on my website letters to women podcast.com or just scroll down in your podcast player for links to find out more about Magdala, listen to episodes of the Magdala podcast, and find out more about the small confidential video chat groups where you can find accountability, support, and community, as well as a link to that form if Rachel's invitation to become a small group leader was something that caught your attention. In the show notes, you'll also find a link to the Little Catholic Box. That's the sponsor for today's episode. And finally, you'll also find a link to sign up for my newsletter, Naptime Notes. Every month, I share what I'm reading, my favorite thrift store finds, the poem that I'm thinking on. The newsletter is totally free. Uh, but you can also subscribe at $5 a month, and you will get unlock early access to all the Letters to Women podcast episodes. So you'll be able to listen to them before they go live. If you listen to the podcast and you love the conversations and the guests on the show, please leave a rating and review, especially if you tune in via iTunes. And if you know a woman who would love to listen to Rachel's Witness and hear about the work that Magdala does, please send this episode her way. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss any future episodes. If you ever want to share about a guest you'd love to see on the show or talk about your experience as a listener, you can send me an email at letters to women at gmail.com. I'd love to connect with you as a listener. That is all I have for today's episode. So until next time, be not afraid. <laughs>